Do you think that when the Demon's Legion infested those pigs and went off the edge of the cliff, that Jesus maybe just poked Peter in the ribs, pointed and said, hey, look, I made deviled ham. There are Jews in the world. There are Buddhists. There are Hindus and Mormons and then... There are those that follow Mohammed's but I've never been one of them. How's your faith these days, Father? Oh Lord, oh you are so big, so absolutely huge. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What do we learn? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. Welcome back, my duck and disciples. How are we doing today? If this is your first time listening, welcome. I hope I earn your subscription and maybe five stars in Spotify. Today is Trinity Sunday. It is a holy feast day, and it's the only one we have that is about an idea, not like people or an event like Pentecost or St. Patrick's Day or St. Valentine's Day or anything like that. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? So in any case, after this, we'll be going directly into all the Pentecostal stuff, which is kind of cool and interesting and fun. But we have to talk about today about the Trinity. So why don't we just get to it and get it done? I like it. I love it. Boom. Here's the gospel. John, chapter 16, verse 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I turned on a client's TV the other day and I caught this preacher on the stage boasting that he doesn't preach doctrinal sermons. They're so boring, he proclaimed. People can't relate to that. People don't understand doctrine. He continued. I'm a preacher, not a theologian, so I don't get down with all that nonsense. I get down to the practical points and I preach Christ crucified. And I call bullshit. See, that tan-suited, perfect white televangelist is wrong when he says he's not a theologian. The truth is, we all are to some extent. Even the atheist that hollers, I don't believe in God. Well, that's your theology, my guy. Further, this dude on television in my client's room claims he doesn't preach a theology, but gets, quote, down to the practical issues, end quote. 
you, you can't tell me that practical issues aren't theological issues. Good theology leads to good practice. And you can't have one without the other if you're going to be preaching to a congregation or to the choir. Solid and good theology settles deep into the very bones of our existence. Oh, and that crap about preaching about Christ crucified is just as faulty, if not more. Now, I'm not a fan of Paul, but this preacher is missing Paul's point. He's saying he only preaches about the cross and saving the sinner. But that wasn't the center of Paul's theology, because when you really look at it, the center still is Jesus Christ, not the cross he was on. So those ministers and clergy who preach the message of salvation to people who come to church their whole life confuse the crap out of me. They need more of the teaching of Christ in other issues of life, and also more about what he is not teaching. So, as many of you know, I play the ukulele and guitar. And you can't play a chord on one string. You've got to strum them all. And that's why I chose to use a lectionary and why I'm talking about liturgical seasons. This is why I serve and attend an Episcopal church. The lectionary is making sure the whole gospel of Jesus is witnessed in this podcast. How can we not go through Advent and not talk about the doctrine of Incarnation? How can we go through the weeks of Lent and not examine the doctrine of the Resurrection? How do we navigate the season of Pentecost without exploring the doctrine of the Trinity? And today is Trinity Sunday. This is the only Christian feast day, as I have already spoke of, celebrating not a person or an event, but an idea. And we have celebrated it since the middle of the 10th century. As the tradition goes, I'm just a minister, a preacher, trying to explain to masses a triune God. And whenever I think of the Trinity, or more specifically the Holy Spirit, I tend to reflect upon the Tao Te Ching, which is a holy book of the Taoist philosophy. It describes the way, in the same way we can describe every facet and whole of the Trinity. So I'm going to paraphrase it. The opening verse the Trinity can be described is not the eternal Trinity. The name that can be spoken is not the eternal name. And our creeds and our doctrines about the Trinity don't bother explaining it. Just the elemental ways God has chosen to reveal him themselves to us. It's the iceberg. We can see the tip, but truthfully, how much more is there? So we affirm the Trinity not as an explanation, but as a description of our revelation. This idea of the Trinity isn't directly marked as doctrine in our holy writings, but the implication is there and is stated numerous times. The early theologians and Christians realized they couldn't talk about God without discussing how God had been revealed to them. One divine revealed in three ways, the Creator, the Savior, and the Guide. Or, to put it another way, the parent God, the Son of God, and the Holy Ghost. So, let's talk about that a little bit. And we'll start with the first one. Boom. The parent, the father, the mother, the creator. There is no issue whether or not there is a God. 96% of Americans post-pandemic, according to a Gallup survey, believe in the existence of a God in some form or another. The issue is... What kind of God? 
according to Thomas Jefferson and other theists at, of his time, God was like a cosmic watchmaker. The creator wound up the grandfather clock that was the universe and let it go. And it's all just been running on that spring until finally there's no more tension in it. God isn't in the equation. God is detached. Then you have people like Nietzsche who like to think that there once was a God, but God's dead. The creator poured all of his divinity into the person that we know as Jesus. So when he died on the cross, God died with him. These are just a couple of the weird places you can go, but it's not really how Christians think. But in affirmation, the same God that created the universe also cares for it and its inhabitants. In strange ways, this creator God is involved in helping to shape our lives. The fact that until recently we have always proclaimed the first revealed aspect of the Trinity as Father, or more modernly, the Divine Parent, says what God is like. You see, God didn't wasn't called Father by Jesus, or as is in Hebrew, Ab. And he 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 called him Abba, which is like Daddy, Pops, Papa, you know. So doesn't that break your mind? <clears throat> Can you imagine referring to the creator deity of the entire reality as daddy? <laughs> I mean, suppose we could think of God as that loving parent who's just waiting patiently for us as we wander off to far off countries in our life to do our own thing, to hell with the consequences. And then when we have to come to ourselves and come home, they're there to meet us at the door joyfully take us back in and make us a hot chocolate. And yeah, it's easy to think of God as some omnipotent, holy other that's righteous, all-powerful judge. Those are all divine traits, and we've been taught to think of God in these terms, but suppose our Christian understanding of the nature of God is to be correct. In that case, we must also learn to think of God as our kind, sympathetic, understanding, compassionate, gentle, and loving parent. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you, though. There are some seriously aggressive moments of God in the Bible. New and Old Testament alike have those moments, so we can't deny it. However, the moments of irrational love, complete and fulfilling, far outnumber them. And nothing breaks a stubborn heart better than the valid message of eternal and persistent love. And it's given despite anything we could do because, again, it's given, not earned. A love shared with us no matter how hard we resist. A love that heals our souls that are wounded. A love that even today can restore anything. I'm reminded of Jeremiah who probably caught our entire message of the faith when he heard God tell him, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And it's that love that through Jesus, we are called to share. Now, because I hear it all the time, I'm going to interject a final note on our divine parent. It is a fallacy among some of us to think that when Christ came, God changed. Where he had been a stern and judgmental God, he changed into love and compassionate God.
So, if you ever had the chance to read a book by James Mitchern called Hawaii, you'll catch the story of a missionary that went to the islands to convert them, as colonizers do. He arrives and is shocked to find polygamy throughout the community, incest in the royal family. The missionary only had judgment and condemnation for these people. He brought with him damnation. And it pretty much made life miserable for everyone, including himself. These people were happy and content, but he tried to turn their happy world upside down into one of the commendation and damnation. But by the end, he's completely changed. He grows to love the people, and he finds his compassion and understanding, as love does. It's easy to say that God changed with Christ, but God is unchanging. Their divine purpose has always been one of love and redemption. And there wasn't anything wrong with the laws of Moses and the Jews. What was wrong was turning it into an end in itself. The exact reason for creation is that God is a God of overwhelming love. And that love, as a result, was life itself. Now, speaking of Christ, we reaffirm belief in Christ, that Jesus was made man. He lived among us, suffered all the same trials of life that come with it, and experienced everything that we have experienced. Jesus was human. Jesus was divine. Jesus was not God, but he was God incarnate. There's a difference. Jesus never drew attention to himself, only to his divine daddy. Now, there's this Danish theologian who's way too smart for his own good. Uh, it was way back when. He used a story to explain incarnation, and I think it does a very good job, so I'm going to explain it to you because you're just going to have to find that Danish guy. Um, I won't even pretend to try and say his name because even though I am Swedish, Danes just take too many syllables around and puts around. But this story does a great job, so here it is. The story tells of a prince looking for a bride to become his maiden queen. One day, while riding off to do an errand for his father, the king, he rides through the poorest side of a village, and glancing out of the carriage, he sees the most breathtaking woman. During the next few weeks, he finds any excuse to ride through that section of town again and again, growing more spitten, smitten by this woman's beauty. He fell in love, but here lies the rub. How would he seek her hand? He could very well just make an order, Every, but even a prince wants his bride to marry him voluntarily, not by coercion. He could throw the finest uniform he has on and ride in the country's finest carriage pulled by six white horses with his private guard in their parade rest, parade dress. But if he did that, would he ever know it was for him or for the station that she married? So he thought of a third way. He gave up all of the trappings of his world, the silk, the gold, the chariot, the personal guard. He dressed in the garb of a peasant in the simplicity of a lowly regular human. And he moved into that small, tiny village and lived among those people. 
He shared their interests and their concerns. He spoke with them and built the relationships. And in time, he even had that relationship with a woman who grew to love him for who he was as a man. And because all he ever showed her was his love for her. Doesn't that make for a nice bedtime story? It's so simple that children could listen and love it. This, this theologian, who's probably the most brilliant I've ever read, explains what Christians mean by incarnation. God came and lived with us. I'm all for it because of two points. First, it shows us without a doubt that God is with us, on our side, and that they love us. Now, second, it shows us a clear picture of what God is really about. When people ask, what's God like? We as Christians point to the incarnation, to Jesus. God is incomprehensible, but in Jesus of Nazareth, this incomprehensible God is made knowable. There's just a glimpse of glory. In the person of Jesus, we are told that the divine parent who created the stars in the universe is willing to go all the way, even to the most torturous death, so that a single person can be redeemed. And that's what Jesus is. Oh, that's what God is like. That's the God we believe when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And just as we affirm the parent and the child, we have the spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? Like I said in the beginning, anything we say of the Holy Spirit is lacking. The United Methodist Church state in their Korean creed, we believe in the Holy Spirit, God present with us for guidance and comfort and strength. The Evangelical Lutheran Church of America has an affirmation, called the Modern Affirmation, that has these words. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the divine presence in our lives, whereby we are kept in perpetual remembrance of the truth of Christ and find strength and help in time of need. In my words, the Holy Spirit is the infinite becoming intimate, the beyond that is within. It is the realization that the living God inside the body of Christ is inside your life. It is intimacy with God. That's the point of the Holy Spirit and what it gives. Here there are monsters though, because we often identify the works of the Holy Spirit with the works of our sins. Virtually every big mistake of judgment and ignorance that can be pointed at and said, the church did this. Well, it has been attributed to the Holy Spirit's work. Whether it is the slaughter of innocent non-Christians, free thinkers or outsiders by the Inquisition, the genocide of indigenous peoples in our own country and continent and Australia, and the genocide of their culture or hiding of the pedophiles and sexual predators among the clergy today, even the Deus Vult of the Crusades. The church sanctioned some horrible, atrocious behavior and crimes in the guise of, seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Yeah, I'm not too happy about my own past, am I? So the Pentecost is the season of the Holy Spirit, and there's going to be a lot more to come about it in the following weeks. So I'd like to end this with something that my partner and girlfriend loved. Maybe it will help us all understand the Triune God just a little bit better if we look at the Triune God in this way. God, the divine parent who is for us. God, the Son who is with us. And God, the Holy Spirit who is within us. Someone asked Mrs. Einstein once if she understood the theory of relativity. She said, no, but I know my husband. We can't even start understanding the incomprehensible mysteries of God. But that doesn't mean we can't know God. If God comes in the person of Jesus Christ and says, I am your brother and let me show you the Father, then by the Holy Spirit you can know God intimately and personally. I'm all for knowing the Trinity. And I'll have some faith that the math works out in the end. Amen. Thank you, thank you for joining me. Again, if this is your first time, I hope you hit that subscribe button. We're gonna have some fun this year. Uh, if this is not your first time, well, thank you again for all your support. I really appreciate it. And don't forget, you can support me, which means I spend more time uh, working on sermons and less time, I don't know, uh, doing one of the other 18,000 jobs I do just so I can pay rent. Um, also, if you want to find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, uh, Instagram, everywhere that I am, feel free to go. There's a link down below. Just click it and you will see everywhere and all the things that I'm trying to do and provide. Um, other than that, I have nothing else to say. So I guess y'all just need to love each other. And I'll catch you next time, you duckers.